I get satisfaction because I am recovering and never recovered from drug addiction that there's those kicking in endorphins and those that feeling of euphoria when you win you can't match it up see when I drive over one of those bridges and I the Kennedy Bridge was just the Tribor Bridge and I look over there to the left and there's the city and then I look to my right and there's Queens and then I look forward and there's Bronx we're the champions of this whole place you know what a feeling it is to go out there and say oh my god we're number one Hey, Sebastian Alvarado with the Coffee and Football Podcast, a long-form interview where I sit with some of the most influential profiles in the game to learn about their lives and career journeys. This week's episode, the 26th in the series, is part two of my interview with Coach Jake of the Emelkid Junior High School. If you haven't listened to part one yet, you really have to do that before getting into this one. This story is possibly the most incredible life journey that I've heard of, of a man who went from years of drug addiction, crime, and personal tragedies to becoming the most successful high school coach in New York City history, to working with underprivileged kids and immigrants, helping them with everything from immigration papers to making it to college and further in life. In this part, we delve further into his personal perspectives, touching on things such as the foundation and the goals of helping youth players around the world, being diagnosed with hepatitis C, fear of death, working with Hollywood on the feature about his life, to his obsession with winning and how it resembles the heist of drugs, all of that and much more. So without further ado, here is part two of my conversation with Coach Jake. We're talking about these very tough experiences that you've had and, and being at the bottom and you may choose to talk about it or not, uh, but uh, you were diagnosed with uh, with hepatitis C. What, what, when was that? And um, On my arrival to New York, it was, it was fairly, fairly early, maybe 88, you know, something like that. So um, I uh, went for a routine physical. I had insurance. Oh, right. Look at that. I had insurance and uh, I was back in. I'm in the city system. And then I got notified I had a, a pretty deadly liver disease um, so um and you know over the years i mean it was you know stages change you know so uh i went through um uh right you know i went through stage one two three four I mean, you know I'm, I'm actually i still have stage four liver disease but it's not active and i have no longer have hepatitis c okay Fantastic. so eventually as we progressed it became stage four but i know people who as soon as they notified it, they died within weeks. I remember from the time I was diagnosed with earlier stage hep C, and I could have it for a long, long time. I uh, didn't do any alcohol. I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs. I didn't do anything. So it may have prolonged the chance of which to take the new drugs that came out, and which uh, is Harvoni, which I always told my my friend Remy, if we've had on here, that he should be getting, calling them uh, Gilead already and get me on. You know, I should be doing a commercial for Gilead, for heaven's sake. You know? Uh, so, as you know, it was drugs have been developed to uh, eliminate. Now, got to remember something. I went on interferon twice. 
my initial interference. So I get diagnosed with hepatitis C, and I'm going on and on. And so I find this great doctor, Mendelssohn, and he said, okay, let's try uh, interferon therapy. Berberberin. Uh, those of us uh, 300,000 or a million or whatever people have hepatitis C. Uh, so they're in, they're in the beginning, you have to inject your stomach three times a week and take these pills of poison. And I hate to say it, I looked like I came out of concentration camp. I mean, I lost 30 pounds, I'm sick, and I had to do that for six months, okay? No positive results. In fact, I, I almost died. They had to give me a shot of uh, uh, Procrit or something, something to keep my blood going. That finishes. I go a few more years, still developing, another biopsy. All right, let's start you a new, new protocol. You, this is now, you just take one shot, and you take one pill, that's it. We, let's combine it, you know. So they came out with a new protocol with interferon. Sick. Uh, just wipes you out. Man. But never missed a day of coaching. Never missed a day of work. Ever. So that's okay. willpower. Willpower. you got to keep going. Uh, hey, if I'm a drug addict, I can go every day. I can go date on this, you know. So I did that. Again, doctor says, we're coming out with something new. We're going to have the, um, what's it called? Protobase inhibitors, I think they called it. I said, okay, doc, okay. You know, meantime, my disease is progressing. I really don't feel well. Uh, energy level's lower uh, than it usually is. And as you know, I have high energy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm just amazed. I mean, how have you been able to deal with this mentally? And physically is one thing, obviously, that you can't always do all that much about other than trying to stay in shape. But how have you dealt with this mentally? Um. Well, now it's a little easier because I feel so damn good, you know. Um, but back then to deal with it mentally was uh, a day at a time. I think my training a day at a time is a lesson for anybody. Let's keep everything a day at a time. Let's, you live life a day at a time. Stay positive a day at a time. You know, win games a day at a time. Keep your spirit. Everything to me is a day at a time, you know. Um, but yet we all look ahead. And I wasn't looking towards, uh, you know, fatality. I didn't keep my mind focused on fatality. I just kept my mind focused on what's going on. I kept my mind focused on what's happening in life now and all the positive things. And I really believed mortality wasn't going to get me, even though immortality is for you young guys, you know, uh, you know, because I know you feel you're immortal. I just know it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know it. I know you feel immortal because every, every, every 20, 30, 40 year old feels immortal. Oh, nothing's ever going to happen to me. You know, you know, I'm playing soccer. I'm tough. You know, I'm a, uh, no, no, it doesn't work like that. But uh, yeah, I uh, didn't focus on mortality as much. Um, not as much fear as I probably have about it now, you know, being at this point in life, you know, and looking every New York Times uh, obituary is looking at 83-year-olds, 82-year-olds. Do I only have 10? You know, what do I got here, man? But one thing I, I believe, it's not going to be the hepatitis C that takes me down this one. Now, my immune system's a bit compromised. It will always be. And I do develop things. But overall, I got to be the healthiest horse alive, you know, uh, and I keep fighting it. But um, those battles of uh, treatment were some of the toughest things. And then I was battling a principal at the time and I was battling this and that. It's all happened at once. But um, some reason it makes you stronger. When make things go on, sometimes uh, some negative stuff makes you stronger. Uh, I don't think of it often, you know, even though my liver's not perfect, but it's going to get better. You know, my liver functions are fine. I would get checked every year. Now the doctor said just get checked every year, you know, and uh, fine. Well, you're in uh, in, in pretty good shape, I have to say, and I look much better than, than a lot of people of, you know, similar your age. So 
I've been told that, you know, but, you know, you know, but, but not to the 24 year old. And here we are, you know, 20 plus years into the MLK program. Uh, would you call that your, uh, your life's work? Uh, you know, like legacy life's work, that kind of thing. I, I, I would say it's my, it is my life's work. Yes. You know, and it is something that I have to say, I, I don't dwell on. I don't even think about it that much. I just, I more just do it. You know, I just go into work. I do it. I love this. I go to school and they call me the president of the school. You know, that's what they say. Mr. President, how are you today? Because I get along with six principals. I get along with teachers. I treat everyone with respect. There's not a call. You know, I always hear these people get busy, busy, busy. If I get a phone call, I get an email, I answer every single one of them. Because you show respect, no matter where. And I get some from around the world. Uh, and at my school, I treat everyone with respect. Yeah, there's some assholes. You know, there's a couple of teachers, uh, Tim teachers, just a jerk, you know? I mean, but when you're who I am, and, and I don't try to think of ego-wise who I am, but when you get what I press that I get and, and the discovery of someone different is doing something very special, uh, envy and jealousy are incredibly around you. Do you notice that? Yeah, yeah. In what sense? Well, you know, I met a teacher yesterday. He says, you know, I met, I went to, I went to Brandeis High School and the soccer coach over there said, you're an asshole. I says, I don't even play against them. I'm an asshole. You know, I think I played them like five years ago and I, and my buddy used to teach at Brandeis and no, nobody could stand the guy. But why are you angry at me for, for being a winner? I didn't, I don't know who you are. You know, you know, nobody likes to see a, a winner. You know, nobody likes to see a team on top. Everybody roots for the underdog. Except me. <laughs> I root for the me, you know? I mean, you know, when you're on top, you find that often. Yeah, I don't pay attention to it. I don't um, dwell on it. Yeah, it's funny that you ask, because just yesterday, it's the first time I heard anything negative from anybody, you know? Uh, I said, what? I mean, this, 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 he, he's my JV basketball coach, and I'm trying to, I, I have to, I still do some athletic director work. I share to split it with somebody. So I, I have 32 teams. I help coordinate a king. And uh, as a director, because I still do that part-time with another assistant principal, the bottom line is it does exist. And it does exist more than it doesn't, you know? I mean, do I have any friends in the league? Do I like my arch-rival coach? I always ask one question. Would you go to dinner with that person? And if I say no, then I that means I'm not liking this guy very much, you know? How many people would you just sit down at a dinner with? You know? That's what it's about. Beyond coaching the team, you're involved in a lot of amazing projects that all go hand in hand and kind of work for the same bigger cause, so to speak. Uh, there is a, a documentary coming out, um, premiering on uh, September 21st in New York sure, City. Sure, sure, Sebastian. Yeah, it's uh, quite thrilling. Um, over a two and a half, almost three year period, a wonderful filmmaker named Ian Phillips, freelance filmmaker, said... Years ago, he met me, and I was his senior thesis and the uh, little documentary he made. And he says, promise me that I could do your documentary. And ironically, I've been approached by others, but he says, in the last few years, and of course, I like to keep to my word. He's not famous, but he could become famous. And uh, that wasn't the reason. It's uh, it's all about loyalty. 
life is about loyalty. And uh, the greatest thing is he, he put together something with a great editor, Cedar Daniels, and uh, I was able to secure a small amount of money from a, um, Derek Cribbs, a, a, an investor who I met through soccer and uh, put some money in myself because he needed it and said, hey, let's do it, you know, and uh, it's out. And it's uh, obviously some people like it. Uh, the festivals got picked up and the first one is Urban World. It's urbanworldoneword.org and it's going to be shown September 21 at the AMC here in New York City, 42nd Street, uh, Empire Theater. And it's an urban festival, so I'm quite uh, honored to be part of that. All this is going to benefit uh, some in a positive way, not not economically as much as, uh, and hopefully some economics uh, to, father, to benefit the Coach Jake Foundation, uh, which is a foundation I formed a five hundred one side three, and we go forward from there. It got uh, also uh, selected for the Bushwick uh, Film Festival. It got selected for the Yonkers Film Festival, and it got selected for the Heartland Film Festival out in Indiana, of which those dates have yet to be uh, publicly displayed. Uh, more information to follow. Um, there's been quite a few even mini documentaries done. Carmel Anthony did one with Vice. Uh, there's been others who've done stories. From your perspective, what would be the, the ultimate goal well, yeah, like I've been fortunate enough or unfortunate enough to have a lot of press around me. You know, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but obviously there's been some video. Vice did a great video seen by quite a few with Mello, a wonderful person. Uh, ESPN's does stuff. Sports Illustrated's done videos. Time, uh, Newsweek did a great story. Um, yes. And ultimately, I formed the, T-H-E, CoachJakeFoundation.org. And by the way, if you went to the CoachJakeFoundation.org or, or even if you go to CoachJakeNYC.com, it shoots into that. What I'm trying to do is uh, get some awareness around the needs of uh, our kids for immigration purposes, education and social also. My idea behind it was let's work with immigration and see if there are situations that arise that need uh, legal assistance, and I will work the foundation to help you. Obviously, you can tell now I'm not a fan of uh, I'm a fan of uh, giving kids a chance. I'm not saying open up the borders to the world, but I am saying you've got to take care of our people, our kids, and those who want to strive for a better life, whether uh, are not documented, at least give kids a chance. And um, that's where I'm at. And so the Coach Jake Foundation is gearing towards that. Of course, it's been self-funded all these years, so the last couple of years. But it is a fully 501c3. It's a not-for-profit. And it would be the goal uh, to utilize some of this uh, fantastic news coming out about the documentary, as well as the feature that we're hoping for. Tell me a little bit about the feature. I don't know how much you can talk about it, but... I can talk all the world about it because it's 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 been taking eight years already. So, I mean, who knows, you know? Oh, really? But, Why is it taking so long? Um, first, it gets involved in, in broken promises and dreams. And uh, two screen different screenplays were out there, but uh, we've decided to go with a more recent one. And um, people tell you they're going to do things they don't. Uh, maybe that's Hollywood. Well, I think it is Hollywood, you know. A, a recent, a screenplay was written a few years back by Billy Finkelstein and Chris Bongurni is one of the producers. Dana Kirchman is a producer and they want it on board. They're wonderful people and I trust them. And they're just finishing up now optioning the screen that was written. There was another one before it 
and of course let let the screenwriters guild work that one out because it's not up to me because there's no reason I have to go to anyone. I own my life rights. I let it go for years to someone that didn't fulfill my dream. And those are broken promises. And both of them are pretty good, but this one is very edgy, kind of like my documentary, kind of like my story. And it involves some of the kids, and it's all true. It's based on truth. And it's soccer. For heaven's sake, where is that soccer movie already? I mean, this is real. And it's powerful. And it's good. And um really hoping this is it. You know, and, and hopefully this, someone will come to me and say, you know, let me see that screenplay. And that's what I'm hoping for. That's yeah. where I'm at. Yeah. Very exciting. Yeah, that's fantastic. For all the right reasons. I mean, not only, well, for a big part of kind of your life story, how it all came together at MLK, what MLK has been able to do for the past 20 years, uh, the trickle down effect and the extensions that are kind of going to come from something like that, that's uh, relevant not only locally, but nationally and globally. And then also, as we spoke about a little bit offline in terms of the importance of uh, different types of soccer stories uh, getting out there and, and showing what's going on at the at the local community levels and, mm. and, and these amazing initiatives. So uh, very much look forward to that. Yeah, that's good. I just can't wait to come to fruition already with this. You know, I told you, I always say, while I'm alive, please, you know, I don't want to be a film showing when I'm not around. I want to be around. <laughs> that's it, you know. You know, one thing I hope through all of it is if someone goes away saying, oh, let me save one life, let, let me help one person, just go out and help one person, whether that's the drug addict, whether it's the, the family, because we know there's so many people in families, or, or whether it's a player of some sorts, you know, it would be really great if uh, one of these projects went out and did that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we'll do everything we can from this end to, to get the word out there as well. Excellent. And I think this story is going to do a good job with it as well. Uh, in speaking with you and having seen you in some of these shorter films and so on, you seem to have this obsessive notion about winning. Like mm -hmm. winning is, is really everything to you. And when you don't win, you're quite devastated. Where does that desire to win come from? Because a lot of people, everybody, everybody likes to win, but you have, you have something extra, man, when it comes to that. <laughs> you know, I get satisfaction because I'm recovering and never recovered from drug addiction. That there's those kicking in endorphins and those, that feeling of euphoria when you win. You can't match it up. See, when I drive over one of those bridges, and I, uh, the Kennedy Bridge was just the Triborough Bridge. And I look over there to the left and there's the city. And then I look to my right and there's Queens. And then I look forward and there's Bronx. We're the champions of this whole place. You know what a feeling it is to go out there and say, oh my God, we're number one. I don't like to say we're number two. That would be one reason, you know. In 1996, when I won my first championship, we had nothing uh, we had old scrappy uniforms and uh, old volleyball uniforms and we put it up. But, but we came back to Snoo and we kind of snuck back into the building. And it was late at night. It was played at the old Downing Stadium where Pele played. We were on a bus and I think the Trinities went nuts and they just scrammed. The bus was shaking. We got into school. I went to order Domino's Pizza or some pizza place, ordered it, brought it. I had no money. Whatever money I had, I wasn't making a lot back then. And I put my foot up and says, holy shit. This feels great. How can I do it again? And that's where it all began. How can I do it again? And then it was 97. Hmm. Let me try to do this again. 98, 2000, then five in a row. 
then four in a row, you know, and between a loss that for a whole year, let me mope around, but then always thinking about, I'm going to come back because when you win a championship, you never know if you're going to win another one in your whole life. So I savor it because right now I am the city champ. This, you know, nothing can be taken away from that. Now I'm the defending city champ and nothing can take away from that until November, mid-November, when it could be the yours again. And I get to live a whole year again with gratefulness and thankfulness and happiness and the kids are, and the kids, you know, how happy they get because we program them to think we well, you have a goal and you want to win a championship. And those who won this year know what that feels like. They know. They don't know what it feels like to lose anymore. You know, they know what it feels like to win. And it's just part of our culture and, and human, human culture, human, human, you know, who we are as humans. Who doesn't like to win? They like to win in everything. I'm competitive that way. That feeling you get about winning is something that you want to create over and over and over again. Beyond winning, what's something that you feel like you haven't achieved yet? Well, one of the things I have not achieved is I haven't saved every life I need to save. And that's why these projects going on right now is kind of the end result of all these years of hard work and all these years of destructiveness to myself and all these years of recovering and going forward and lifting my spirits up. If I get these projects, this, this, uh, this documentary makes it, makes it big widespread. I can go out there and I can speak to groups about redemption and hope and what you can do for the world. I think I'm getting to that point now that I need to go out and spread the word. That was always my goal. It's just that I run out of time to prepare. I run out of time. I would like to get a speaking engagement. I'd like to get a speaker's bureau. I think I need something like this to, to really promote that. I like to get paid to where a lot of that money will go back into my foundation and then really start saving more lives. Uh, because there's like, and it, you know, eventually it doesn't have to be. There's a great coach called Jimmy Valdano. His foundation became huge. Eventually, of course, he's passed. And I don't want, like I keep saying, I want to do it while I'm alive. So I feel it. You know, I doesn't have to be an MLK player. See, eventually the way I designed it, we'll start with MLK. We go boys and girls. You know, I love my girls team over there. They're not great, but I'm trying to develop a little better team. Then New York City. Then the country, then the world. I'm sure, you know, that's a task. But it can be any soccer player uh, that is in need. Now, I am gearing the foundation to a soccer player in need, you know. Now, it doesn't have to be the most highly skilled soccer player. It doesn't have to be like some of the kids that I know, if they get their documents, will get a full ride to an Ivy League school or regular school, which I've had Ivy League players. It doesn't matter to me. But that's my goal, uh, to keep saving the world. What's your um, biggest challenge? Uh, well, biggest challenge of coaching, I think we touched on, you know, not having a place to practice, uh, not having a locker room, not having a facility, not having enough, uh, you know, um, making life a little easier on me. Uh, walking at the back of my school, like most 99% of these schools in this country, and these kids from the suburbs get everything, or, or a school down the street that was turned into a favor of the Department of Ed, and they get money and we don't, you know, things like that. Um, but my biggest challenge right now, you know, I have family challenges like everybody. I have some you know, kids with problems. The daughter I talked about, you know, that breaks my heart, you know, a bit. Um, hoping she makes it. Uh, the challenge right now is to parlay seeing that this develops into something great 
I don't know I can do that personally, but I mean, spread the word. Uh, can the documentary propel into a feature film? Can the feature film be fairly great? But I was also told by a wise man, which is probably me, <laughs> you know, better watch what you ask for. You know, I'm not asking for fame beyond belief. I'm asking for something to happen that produces change to people. That this documentary or this a feature that gets developed can change the, change certain behaviors and patterns of people, maybe people's thinking. That God, maybe we shouldn't uh, uh, deport seven hundred thousand, eight hundred seven hundred eighty thousand people. Maybe these kids deserve a chance. My challenge is how do I change the world? You know, how do I change the country? How do I change people's thinking? I don't think I'm going to change the alt right very much. You know, especially with my heritage. Um, you know, and the challenge is to see this through. And uh, there's always a challenge to stay healthy at this point in life because uh, you know. Mortality is real. Do you fear mortality? I feel death a bit. Yeah, more and more when you get older. I think your listeners who are in that 60, 70, beyond, uh, or late 50s even, you've got to start thinking about uh, what you're left, what you're leaving in the world. But just how many years do you have? I mean, am I going to be able to continue coaching at this age? You know, I mean, uh, Alex Ferguson made it to 73. All right, I want to go beyond that. You know, I'd like to go right now. My goal is 75. So I'm bringing in players for that goal. I start going to Randall's Island and all the clubs now in October, you know, uh, and I meet kids and parents and anybody I can meet, give them my card, say this, give them a list of schools. This is where I want you to go. I, I like what you do. And that'll give me to 75, you know, because right now I'm going to be good this year and I'm going to be good next year. And I may even be good the year after that. So I'd like to see that happen. Knowing what you know today with, with all your experience, um, is there anything you would have done differently? It's hard to say, you know, anything differently I, because we can't go back, you know. So I don't, again, think about it much, you know, a different career. Listen, yeah, I wish the movie was made 10 years ago. I mean, when they first proposed it or eight years ago, I wish it was done already and I would have had more money ready to go and do other things and live a little life. But as far as coaching-wise... You talked about evolving. It evolved the way it evolved, and it's still evolving every day. You know, uh, nothing, nothing, um, nothing drastically different. Well, uh, what am I going to do? I, yeah, uh, maybe done a few things to win those games we lost. You know, those are the ones I think about. I, you know, I, I've won sixteen, but those four we lost, we should never have lost. Never. We should have won every single championship for every year. That's how I feel about it. And. I do beat myself up on it, you know. Uh, I played the wrong players one year, and we lost the first time we lost in a quarterfinal ever. We've made every single semifinal except for one in the last 20 years. We've been in, been in uh, 16, 17 finals, okay? Uh, lost two semifinals, lost one final, two semifinals, and one quarterfinal, and won 16 championships uh, with a phenomenal record. Damn, did, why did we lose those games? Why am I dwelling on those? You know, why do I always remember those? You can ask yourself that. What's something that you think that you do differently than most other coaches? Oh, the, you know, I got the greatest um, compliment from the commissioner of high school soccer in New York City. He was refereeing a game in the off-season. He can do that in off-season. He says, if everybody ran your program the way you run your program, I would have no complaints in this city. You know, that was a great compliment from, from Vito Rizzi. You see, and and uh, what what I do is I take the child as a whole and realize that it's not just 
a soccer player. This is a young adult, young, not even adult, young teenager, young man, I should say. This is a young man who needs to be molded and help mold his character. Can't change personalities, but you can help mold them, mold them to a better, you know, better belief of what he is and he or she can do in the world. And, and that's the difference between me and, um, and these other coaches. 95% of them just want to beat me and show up once in a while, you know. Uh, yeah, we have practice, go home. But and I, and I understand some people have the obligations to their families, and uh, obviously, in some of my quotes is Jake has no family and there's no life. Uh, I have a life, but if they would just go a little further, uh, are they placing their kids? No, they leave them alone. I got a big complaint about one of my rivals. You know, you you don't you have kids sit on the bench. You know what? But those kids sitting on the bench, at least I'll try to get them into school. You know, and they may become a recreational player the rest of life. But there's always a junior college for somebody. I, yeah, I had a kid was my manager because I didn't think he could make the team. I got him into Monroe in the Bronx. And he got free tuition and he's playing. And he was my manager, for heaven's sake. I didn't abandon him. So why don't these coaches go out there and do more? Yeah, well, clearly it's worked pretty well. And not only with the program winning, but with a lot of prominent individuals, prominent players, uh, professional players, national team players coming from that. So clearly it's working. Well, you know, I got two MDs that graduated from me. I've got a, a couple of doctorates in college, uh, master's degrees, all areas of college, you know, an accountant, you know, I mean, you name it. And uh, or just an armed services, two or three. Navy, Army, uh, one of my star players played for the Army team. You know, I'm very proud of what they've done, and they've always kind of come back to me. Not a lot, you know, but enough, you know. And and I ask one thing of my kids, like Baki, like like the people you've interviewed before, like Buna Kandul, go out and help somebody else. You don't need, I do not want anything from you. I'm not your agent. Some kids say, oh, we represent me. I ain't re I'm not an agent. I don't represent anybody. You represent You know, you need some advice, I give it to you. And I'll, that's what I'll do. But the greatest thing is go out, kid, uh, when you grow up, and just remember what you learned that you're in the world to help others. Uh, you know, uh, what does my foundation say? It says uh, there are two things in the world. There are two things, to learn life's lessons and to help others. I think that's my mantra right there. Fantastic. Do you have any passions or any hobby outside of soccer? Oh, yeah, I, I am an avid uh, lover of hiking, uh, the, the mountains. And I've been in probably 30, 40 national parks, um, national monuments, national areas, uh, national forests, maybe even more. I've done some series from the 70s, doing serious backpacking through the Rockies uh, to moderate to easy hikes, you know, at this point. Uh, planning on just got back in april i went to the desert in arizona about tucson i did saguaro national park i've done so much you know i'm going to do some hiking around vegas area on because i'm flying out of there so there's great hiking trails it's new york city <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so i i, I i've gone uh i'm going to uh, australia do some hiking in australia really? and uh, new zealand yeah i'll do a little bit there in may 
And then in, in February, I'll hike uh, all, every day I'll go into the Santa Monica Mountains. I'll go stay in the Mount of Santa Monica in February. But national parks, national forests, uh, uh, you want to talk about being pissed off how they're trying to take away the, uh, all this land on, on a national, how do you, how do you take back uh, something like a, like a national uh, forest, you know? How do you take away that, you know? So anyway, yeah, I'm a big, uh, and I've been doing that for a good 40 years. And that's my favorite in the world because you know why you're one with God. You're out there. Yeah, and, my, and my spouse goes with me. She, she, it's like you just hike and you're there. And there it is. It, 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 God put everything right in front of you. You're there. Nothing else. And it really relieves my uh, stress tremendously. That's my biggest passion. If there is one, one place that you've been to that I shouldn't miss, if there is one place you would recommend, which one would that be? Glacier National Park. No doubt. No doubt. You know, that, that was my favorite national park, both sides, stateside and Canada. Oh, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I, I got to pick you up on some of those recommendations. Um, we've covered a lot here today. Um, is there anything you feel like uh, we haven't touched on? Pretty intense, uh, long interview here. So how could we not? I mean, can I keep talking? You're a great interviewer. You could probably make me, you know, you got great questions. And it's easy right here in this beautiful home studio of yours. Uh, you know, no, I think, you know, we've done so much and covered so much. Uh, I, I've divulged a lot of my life and my uh, wants and uh, what, what I'm looking forward to. You know, and from here, I go home and do laundry. <laughs> True. This is what, what I do with everybody at the end. I just shoot a set of uh, rapid fire questions. Really? Uh, yeah. Wow. It's not the same questions to everyone. Are they written down? I have a few of them written down, but I, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I made up a few while, while we were talking as well. Okay. So, uh, but they should be pretty, pretty quick. So let's go. Uh, favorite team? Favorite team is uh, still Manchester United, even though they changed from Nike. Where does that come from? Uh, visiting with them when they came to tour and meeting everybody. Uh, the entire coaching staff and uh, just liking their style. They speak with Ferguson? Uh, yes, I met him. And uh, I met his assistant because I forgot everybody's name. But now I sat in their box and it was treated pretty nicely. And I thought that was important. I also like Barcelona a lot. There's no doubt just the way they play. You know, I always look at the, the brand too. For some reason I get it. But, you know, because I have the original Manchester United Nike jacket. You know, they gave me as a present. You know, I try to, you know, see if uh, everybody, I'm, I'm a big Nike fan, as you know. I know. Um, the proudest moment in your career? Proudest moment. I mean, most people say when their daughter was born, you know, and her son was born. But my mind is more, uh, I try to focus on the last 20 or 30 years. And watching Mansour Jai, the boy we raised uh, from Senegal, Getting his doctorate degree at UConn and also being an All-American and winning a national championship. I mean, instead of saying my proudest moment is winning all these championships. And also, I felt really good about being honored this year after all these years at this New York Soccer Gala. I was proud of that and what happened uh, when I, uh, you know, the people recognizing what I did and being recognized by your peers. That is a proud moment for yourself and uh, being recognized for what I've done. What's the most important characteristic to be successful in your position? Um, empathy. I said, that's it. You've got to care. If you don't care, get out of the profession, get out of the world, get out of the coaching life, you know, care about these kids, 
because I am a schoolboy coach, you better care about these kids. If you don't have empathy for them, if you don't care about them, you shouldn't be coaching. You shouldn't be a public educator and uh, get out. What are you uniquely qualified to do? I'm uniquely qualified to do is um, manage, direct, assist, and coach our youth. And also counsel, not only because of my degrees, but because of all my experience. Who's the person in the soccer world you look up to? Well, obviously, I love what Sir Alex Ferguson did. I mean, come on, you know. And to be older, and I quote the older, and, and continue to do this passionate love of the sport and direct. I don't know him personally. I'm not sure of his personality. Um, but, you know, you hear so many things you don't like about a coach or a manager, you know. But I haven't heard that much people don't like, and I don't know him. But he seems his demeanor is quite, quite to my liking. A person outside of soccer you look up to? You know, there's more recently any of our heroes of Martin Luther King and who's passed, you know, but obviously Obama had his faults, but I looked up to him, you know, uh, especially in comparison to what we have going on now with this this, this person in there. Um, that's because of my political beliefs and politically speaking, you know, um, There, there probably are some great spiritual leaders that I would recognize as greatness, you know, in in their greatness, you know. Uh, but uh, you know, mainly politics and religious leaders or spiritual leaders—that would be the people I would look up to. What's a book that's made a huge impact on you? Um, Be Here Now, written by Richard Alpadas, aka Ramdas, uh, back in the early, early days of uh, spiritual self-actualization. I would say that's where it all started. Do you have a movie recommendation? Um, Coach Jake the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's an obvious one. <laughs> um, uh, and I watch so many that I'm going to draw a blank. All right. Um. What's a couple of recommendations to um, today's uh, youth players? That touch the ball every day. Dedicate yourself to focusing and your goals. Be clear on your goals and be realistic about them. If your goal is to go to college, is it goes to be a pro, take the next best thing, go to college. If, if that's not even available, just keep playing recreationally. But One thing is set your sights high, but be realistic on where you're really going to go and keep the mental alertness and focus you know, intact. Who's the most well-known soccer contact in your phone? Well, believe it or not, Galati's in my phone. I'm not the greatest fan because of the academy situation, but we have respect for each other, I believe. He's probably pretty well-known. But so is uh, uh, Garber, you know, and Don Garber. He's not in my phone. He's in my, more or less, my email list. And I got a lot of those. Um, you know, th that's where I'm at with that. You get to have dinner with three people in the soccer world, past or present. And let's assume language is not a barrier. Who are the three? Well, I'd like to have, we're definitely going to see Sir Alex Ferguson. I think I would like that a lot, you know. Um, I'm trying to think... That is a spot question, you know. Um, I have to go back into my soccer brain to think about it, you know. I, I, of course, that's a manager, and that's where I'm at now. So the great coaches, uh, you know, Pep Guardiola would be a great coaching mind. Um, 
And, and uh, you know, I probably enjoy Beckham. And where would you take them? Oh, you know, some kind of little natural restaurant somewhere, you know, uh, or Thai food, which I like. Do you have a favorite one in the city? No, no, they closed all the ones in my neighborhood. So, you know, uh, not really, you know, not time to plug a restaurant unless I really love it. <laughs> um, how can uh, people get hold of you or, or follow you? Well, uh, the, the Twitter account at Coach Jake Doc is alive and well. Uh, that's to promote the documentary, and that's somebody put that. You know, my answer is coachjakenyc at gmail.com. Um, that's the one that the foundation will direct you to. Uh, so it's Coach Jake, C-O-A-C-H-J-A-K-E-N-Y-C at Gmail. That would be the, that's the easiest way. And, and believe it or not, I try to answer. Fantastic. Um, last two. Do you have anything you would like to recommend? Remember we talked about civility and calmness and goodness and helping. You know, I would go through that whole path of, uh, of, of being kind you know, being generous and kind and good. And it's not all about making money. It's about helping others. And if you do are making money, why don't you start helping others? Why don't you just find one person to help or two people to help or a foundation to help, you know, uh, treat, treat people with respect. That's what I would say. And, uh, be cordial and friendly and, uh, uh reach out and, uh, kick it forward. Sounds good. Last one. Who do you think I should interview here? You know, New York's got such great soccer personalities. You know, I, I think uh, you, you've got such a wide range of people that you've interviewed. Um, who else would I recommend is a hard one. You know, of course, I love uh, Buna. You know, he's a former na national team goalkeeper uh, and he's mine. You know, so you would end up with uh, Bakari and Buna, the two national team players. But that's a little selfish. I'm not aware of the hundreds of people in the city or around the world that you need to do. Of course, I'm sure you get a wider audience if you got uh, David Beckham in here. Uh, I'm sure... Uh, he, he might attract a few people, yeah. He might attract a few, you know. <laughs> uh, and you have to attract people. Um, they've never heard of Coach Jake, you know, until now, you know. And uh, uh, but Pia Sundage, they heard of her, and that was a, that's an interesting person to get on your, your show. I just see highly success for you or great success in the future. And we just got to figure out Uh, I'm going to come back to you with some great recommendations on that. Sounds good. Um, well, Coach, thank you so much. I mean, it's been an incredible conversation. I had heard a lot of good things in the past, but nothing was near, or I could never have expected this kind of a conversation. I appreciate, you know, your openness, your your kindness on behalf of all of us out there who are, who are big fans of the game. Thanks for the amazing work that you're doing and and, and keep doing every day. Uh, you've built a tremendous program and established a legacy. So, uh, so yeah, for all the insights and learnings, there's so much here. So I, I really can't thank you enough. So uh, truly, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Sebastian, so much. Honor to be here. Pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>